I can hear your scroll wheel. I'm a hipster without trying to be a hipster. Welcome to episode 80 of RSVP, the podcast about stationery and so much more. I'm your host, Les, and my co-host is Dade. We're going to talk about a bunch of topics, but first let's talk about what we are consuming. Dade, what are you consuming today or this week or the last two weeks or whatever? Um, I'm literally consuming a cold uh, caramel brulee latte from Starbucks. It is, I just took a sip. Um, it's okay. I needed caffeine and there's a Starbucks right near where we went shopping this morning. So, um, so what is new and exciting? So I, I finally, um, I got an Apple watch, which then now completes the trifecta or how would you say four? Basically I've been spending my two weeks figuring out how to integrate my watch, my iPad, my iPhone, and my MacBook. And it's really been, for you Mac users out there, like, help. Like, it's so hard to learn something new um, when you've spent all your life using Windows-based machines. But so far, so good. I really like the the productivity um, aspects of some of these things. And perhaps in future episode, if we talk about technology and such, we can go into those. But yeah, so I've been spending a lot of time learning actually, about new things, um, which is kind of disorienting for me because I pride myself on someone who is pretty tech savvy. I kind of feel like my parents right now. <laughs> like, I, I like the, my phone rang the other day and I didn't know how to ignore the call. <laughs> like, you know, that that's hilarious because I had that same issue um, when I first got my work phone. Yeah. Um, because it's an Apple and I, I'm still you know, yeah. Android all the way. But yeah. yeah, my work phone is an Apple and it, like occasionally it'll ring and I'll be like, I don't, how do I ignore this? Um, right. right. It's, it's weird and disorienting and odd. And my phone was ringing the other day. And then also it was ringing on my laptop and I was like, what do I do? It just, it, I'll, I'll get used to it, but it's still just a weird experience. Um, <clears throat> what else? So I, have decided that as someone who plays a heck of a lot of video games um, to kind of still do that, um, but maybe not a heck of a lot, but I want to kind of incorporate more analog activities into my self-care routine because I feel, I feel like every day it's like groundhog day. Like I get up, I do something. And then even my self-care is very like, there's no variation to it. And then I go to sleep and I do it again. And I feel like while video games, I will argue till the day I die that video games are hugely beneficial for depression and anxiety. I think that if you do something so much that you kind of start becoming a human who's like on autopilot um, and you kind of lose the benefits of that hobby. And so I've been really wanting to get back into reading because I've been purging my office, as I said last episode, and I have a lot of physical books um, that I want to read before I donate them. And I have quite a few of Murakami's books that I bought idealistically one day when I worked at Barnes & Noble. There was like a Mm -hmm. huge sale, uh, plus my employee discount. So I got them like super cheap, and they've been sitting on my shelf for a while. And I had conflicted thoughts about reading Murakami because of the problematic nature of some of the ways that he writes his female characters. Um, They're very one dimensional and the way he writes about sex in his novels also is very, 
Um, Oof. Right. It's it's just not. It it you know, it's comes from the dominant male perspective and also women are either depicted as kind of not kind of they're depicted as objects um or you know just simple flat characters um and i've decided to push through that a little bit and read it with a feminist perspective um i i'll link it in the show notes but i i read a really good article um it was an interview with him and it was a feminist critique of his novels and i found it really interesting because Mm. he was very he was not defensive at all and it was really good conversation between himself um and the interviewer and she addresses some of the issues that i have with his writing um and he doesn't really explain himself as well as i'd like him to but i think it definitely helps me see murakami as like like, not even the method behind why he he writes what he writes, but kind of like he. It seems like he's always guessing. You know, obviously a male can't write about a female with a knowing way. I mean, I guess you could if you really split hairs here, but we're not going to go down that path. Um, sorry, I'm thinking on the fly here. <laughs> um, uh, but. You know, it, it seems like it almost seems like sometimes the stuff that I've read of him, it's like a teenager writing about a girl, you know, that they're age. Yeah, that was this, always the feeling that I had when I read right. Murakami. He's like, wow, this feels really teenage. Right. You know, and, and so I want to read and approach his novels with that critical feminist theory kind of perspective, because I don't know. I want to challenge my brain a little bit more than just reading a book and then saying it's garbage and throwing it away. Um, So, yeah. So that's one thing that I have on my plate right now. I've also been switching back to board games. Specifically, I've been playing a game that has a very small footprint, all things considered. It's a card game. It's Lord of the Rings living card game. And just really briefly for the gamers that are listening, a living card game is different than a collectible card game. So you have Magic the Gathering, which is a collectible card game, which I myself have been victim to this. You have to spend hundreds of dollars to to get the cards that you need to effectively play the game. And so it becomes this like wallet wagging kind of gross community sometimes. Well, living card game has expansions and sets where everybody gets the same cards. There's no guessing. Like, you spend your $15 to get an expansion pack, and what you have in there is what everyone else has in there. So when it comes to playing the game, you're not, number one, you're not spending hundreds of dollars, but you're also, you're focusing more on the fun and also the skill required, not the can I afford. I mean, when I used to play Magic the Gathering, um, to be competitive in Friday Night Magic, I mean, we're talking decks that are three, four, or $500 to even place. And that's just yeah. not fair you're relying on luck you know to pull these cards so i've been playing lord of the rings living card game because i have quite a bit um of the the series it's a huge it's been in fact they just printed their last their last expansion pack ever because it follows the story loosely of lord of the rings so which is kind of cool um and i've still been continuing with the great office purge i like i said i i went through my books and i want to read a couple before i donate them i definitely am getting rid of some stationery once I kind of get my thoughts together. I was thinking of having, you know, a 
a new listener, new member kind of giveaway, like folks that recently found our podcast or our Facebook page. Um, basically, people that are new to the stationary world, giving them free stationery to enjoy. Um, so I was thinking of doing that and also just continuing to sell some stuff because I, I have some stuff that I'm I'm selling as well. So, mm. But uh, besides those things, um, that's it for me. Uh, Wes, what about you? Well, um, so I am currently using uh, one of my little fold-up notebooks, my little mini pocket-sized um, single-sheet composition notebooks that I sent out with useful journaling, the first edition or the first first issue, rather. Uh, so I'm still working in that. I'm filling that up with garbage notes here and there um, with a Pilot G2 in blue-black. Um, and I, it's, it's actually one of the, as far as a, a G2 goes, it's a 0.7, but it actually is writing more like a 0.5. It's got a really fine line, which I kind of like. And I also like the blue black color that it, that it is laying down. Um, I also, I went down a rabbit hole as I was cleaning my office and I had purchased back in 2009. Actually, I, I didn't purchase it. I had my wife purchase it for me as a holiday gift. Uh, a Polaroid Pogo. Have you heard of these? I've heard of it, but I don't know much about it. All right. So it's a little zero ink printer. It prints out these little two by three inch photos um, that are full color, mostly. Uh, it doesn't do a great job at capturing the color. Um, and, and sometimes it's a little streaky and whatnot. But it prints it out onto sticker paper, which I think is super fun. Um, and I loved the thing when I first got it. And then I just kind of shoved it in a drawer and haven't really touched it much since I printed off my first 50 or so sheets. And it one of the reasons that I put it away is that it started just to just print super streaky. Um, and I couldn't figure out how to get rid of the streaks or any of that. And I, so I Googled it. Um, using my Google foo. Um, and I found some instructions on how to get it to print better. Um, you, you know, uses like a little, little rubbing alcohol, some of the cleaning sheets, um, running a thicker piece of paper through it and all kinds of stuff. And I've got it printing really, really well. Um, so I'm kind of excited at integrating that into my journaling practice. Um, so one of the things that I really, I haven't addressed it very much in useful journaling, but it's going to be something that I definitely go probably devote an entire issue to is the idea of simple journaling, something like where I did a project, oh God, it must've been 15, maybe 15 years ago. It was sort of an Instagram thing where it's like, you take a picture of one beautiful thing a day and post it. Um, or it was, I can't remember what the hashtag that went with it, but it was like, basically you found one interesting, one beautiful thing and you took a picture of it, you added your little filters to it and you posted it and you did that every day, which is a fantastic gratitude project. Um, but it also really as an artistic project made me kind of look at the idea of what do I find aesthetically pleasing? What's really interesting in my day? And it forced me. And I, the way that I did it was I was going through a rough time at work at the time that I was, I was doing this project. Um, I would park as far away as I could from the front door. And my goal before I got to the front door or to my office was to find one interesting thing to take a picture of that day and post it. And it really made me think in terms of aesthetic, um, 
ideas and what's interesting, what's going to make a nice picture, what can I take a picture of, and really took my mind off the fact that I was going into a hellhole. Um, and I got the Polaroid Pogo around that time as well. Um, and so I, I got it clean and now it's printing really nice. I ordered myself another 50 pack of, of, um, Z ink or zinc, um, photo paper and I'm going to do a little, little photo project with it. Um, I'm, I think I'm going to try and do one Pogo print a day, um, with some images. And the interesting thing is that I've been taking square photos, for probably like the last four or five years, just because that's how Instagram does it. And the Pogo prints in a two inch by three inch box. Mm -hmm. So it's like 16, 16 by nine or something like that. So I'm going to have to rethink kind of like my photos to fit this framework. And so I'm, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a fun little journaling project. I think the idea of like taking a picture and then, Am I going to journal on it or am I going to keep it just visual? I don't know yet. I haven't decided. It reminds me of, you might have heard of this person. Um, his name is Jamie Livingston. He was um, a photographer that took a picture every single day with mm. a Polaroid camera for 18 years until he died. So from Yes. Yeah, I'll post a link to the website because it's really cool to like look up what picture was on your birthday. And, you know, it's like these little snapshots and there's no words. There's not like descriptions. And so yep. each picture actually tells such a story, you know, yep. um, and it'd be really cool to see what you would what you are going to do with that, because I always appreciate your creativity. It'll be interesting. And then like the, I think the further idea is, do I post this to Instagram? Do I post it to a different website? Do I post it at all? Um, God, when I was in graduate school, I want to say it was in my first year, I was sketching on the, on the T. Um, I think it was on the red line. And I was on my way home after class. So it was like nine o'clock at night. And one of the ways that I got through that commute was to sketch the entire time. Um, I can hear your scroll wheel. Sorry. <laughs> that might be our title. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Do it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so I was, I, I would sketch like the people that I saw, the things around me and all sorts of things. Um, and this woman walked up and she was, she's like, I, I hate to bother you, but can I take a photo of you over your shoulder of your sketches? Um, and then she explained she did a photo a day project. And it was, I was like, do you post it? Like, can I see it? And she's like, no, I just do it for me. I kind of have it all saved on an external hard drive. And I just kind of look at them on every, every now and then. And that's what she did to get through her commute was to look for a photo to take every day um, on her commute home. And it kept her kind of thinking in that artistic photography realm rather than like get caught up in the, Hey, there's a guy peeing in the corner of the red line uh, in my subway train or, Hey, uh, you know, the orange line really smells like urine today. That's great. Um, or like the various and assorted, like people pressing up against you on the train. Um, so yeah, you know, it's just, I, I always find those photo a day projects really fascinating, mainly because I'm not the world's greatest photographer. I don't, I, while I have an aesthetic eye for some things, I don't typically think in, in what I call photo. I don't think in photo photography. So it's a really interesting stretch for me. 
Um, and I kind of focus on what's interesting over what is totally aesthetically appealing for other people. So we'll see where it goes. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I'm going to play with it. Uh, Another thing that came up is that Bob Slate, uh, everyone's kind of favorite stationery store in Harvard Square, had a flood. Um, A pipe burst upstairs from them and flooded their storage room, Um, which is kind of a big deal. They have a GoFundMe going for $250,000. And I'm kind of torn on the GoFundMe kind of thing because – um, why didn't they have insurance and doesn't right. the building or the landlord have some sort of insurance for things like that? Um, certainly one would think that they have flood insurance of some sort. I do like, I feel terribly for them. Um, yes. it's a horrible loss to lose like your entire stock of goods, um, especially to a flood when you, when you largely deal in paper goods, because mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure that paper goods are probably, you know, 75% of their sales, if not more. Um, but also, I think this is um, as much as one can want to rely on the physical aspect of a stationary store. I think this is a cautionary tale for many of us who are, who might think of going into, you know, sales in terms of stationary or, or starting a store that you can no longer rely on the physical aspect of people coming into your building. Having a robust website is absolutely necessary for survival of any business at this time. You can't, and you can't wait six, eight, nine months to set that up. It should have been set up in it before, but, you know, I mean, it's neither here nor there. I love Bob Slate. Um, I will certainly purchase something from them once their website is set up. Um, and I, I hope that their landlord had insurance or some sort of flood insurance so that they can get recoup some of their money. Right. That's the first thing I thought of. Like, I, I feel as someone who has been there many times, um, I've never really had <laughs> I never really had a bad experience. I had some weird ones, but mm. I chalked it up to personality, not like bad um but like i just i too was like ooh, like i thought the gofundme like for a quarter of a million dollars was i don't know i was perplexed and we don't know the nuances maybe maybe the the building owner did not have adequate insurance and that's going to be a, a legal fight that they have to do um maybe you know I, I don't know like that happened to cw pencils you know the the building was unable to be inhabited um, and so they had to switch where their store is, but like, that was that, like there was no, mm-hmm. you know, fundraising or anything. Cause I presumed that insurance was involved and, and lawyers were involved. Yeah. It, it is heartbreaking to think of all this stuff that was ruined. Um, if they could make their old notebooks again, I would buy a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I will definitely be supporting them online when they get they, their store up and running for sure. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm very sad that they can't uh, make their old notebooks anymore. I um, I, I every time I would go in, I would buy like three or four of their little like five by seven notebooks. And yeah. I gave one to to my partner um, 
and I found she was she's using it as like a scratch pad kind of thing when she's on the phone or taking notes and stuff before she transcribes it into uh, other documents. And I was looking at it, I was like, I just got so sad. I was like, oh, I used to love their green and blue paper. It was so nice. And the, you know, warm cardstock, the warm card covers was so right. lovely. Um, and now they don't have them anymore. So that's just a bummer. But yeah. Um, anyway, um, the other thing that I've been getting a lot of use out of is my Kindle Fire and my Bluetooth keyboard. Um, it's NaNoWriMo, and I'm failing. I'm now four days behind again. I caught up. I was one, literally one day behind on Friday. Um, <laughs> and um, I'm back to being like three or four days behind because I got I only got 900 words yesterday, and then today... I haven't written it all yet, uh, and I still have to roast coffee for for the following week, kind of stuff. So, um, what I've been doing, and this like is a good segue into part of our main topic, which I think is a good place to start with today, um, is that so after work, um, when so I'm on Mondays and Tuesdays, I'm completely alone at work after 3:30. Um, I am the only employee left on in our facility. Um, mm-hmm. So at you know when I get done with work, I basically clock out at 4:30. I get my Kindle Fire and Bluetooth keyboard out. I turn on the My Noise soundscape for cafe noises, and then I simultaneously play um, some music. So it sounds like I'm in a cafe. Nice. It really kind of feels like it. And I've picked up some decaf coffee. So I, I have that at work and I'll make myself a little French press and I will work on my on whatever I'm working on. So like this past week, I was not working on my NaNoWriMo novel. I was working on my uh, blog posts. Um, so I, I've changed up things a little bit on our um, Comfortable Shoes studio. So I, I had never intended for comfortable, and this is a bit of a segue, so uh, enjoy my tangent. Um, I'd never intended for Comfortable Shoes Studio to be a review site. Um, it had always been a place where I documented my artistic meanderings. Um, and it, I started doing reviews because people would see what I was using in terms of art supplies and ask me what I thought about it. So I started writing reviews because of that, and it was sort of a kind of side thing to what Comfortable Shoes Studio was in my mind. And then work got really difficult, life got really difficult, and I quit my job and went back to grad school. So when I was in grad school, it was really hard for me to to do any sort of additional art making because I was really focused on doing art therapy. And I was working with other people and I couldn't post it. I couldn't post a lot of the work that I was doing in terms of art. And reviews just got to be super easy because I was using a lot of stationary supplies and I kind of approached it as here's how I'm using my pencils and my notebooks and here are the pencils that I like. So I did a lot of pencil reviews and I also did a lot of pen reviews. So, you know, fast forward to now and I'm like, Comfortable Shoes Studio doesn't really feel like me anymore. So I've been trying to write more about kind of the weird crafty things that I do. I got a blog post coming up about um, the fact that I'm stuffing my hacked, my, uh, hacked Epsara, Epsara long point sharpeners into every tiny glass jar I own. 
like so i've been i've raided my um recycling bin i've pulled out tiny glass jars and even some that are a little larger um drilling holes in the lids and gluing and screwing in epsar long point sharpeners basically all of my friends are getting one uh for christmas that's that's what you're getting um and just so, so like those weird sorts of crafty things that I do, plus, um, I don't know, what else have I written about? Like the ins and outs of useful journaling, like the fact that I had to pull 120 staples because I stacked things wrong on the last uh, issue. I, rough. Uh, oh, my God. I, it was so much work. I saw and that picture. You, and you can't really like I, I thought about we have a little, um, you know, the toothy staple remover. Um, that looks like vampire fangs. I always call it the, the paper vampire, um, yeah. but it's got like the fangs that clip in, but you can't use one of those if you want to save the paper because usually those will scar up the paper. So I had to use needle nose pliers to pull out all of those staples uh, without damaging the paper um, because I didn't want to do a reprint of all of that paper. I also didn't want to re I mean, we're talking, it was literally 60 copies of the zine that I had to pull apart. Um, because I did 120 uh, copies in this print run. So I had to pull out 60 copies worth, uh, which is 120 staples because two staples each, and pull each of the little little legs out and then flip it over and pull out the staple. Uh, my hands were not happy with me. I was going to say. But anyway, I, I did, I you know, so I, I'm writing about that, that sort of like the, like, here are some of the pitfalls of like what happens when you make art a lot or when you're not paying attention. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to, um, I'm still doing reviews because I do enjoy doing reviews. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to like add a little bit more of the old flavor of Comfortable Shoes Studio. And I think some of the old readers or the readers who've stuck around for a long time are going to appreciate that just because, um, but that's the kind of stuff that I've been doing for the last week with my, my, my noise land soundscapes, uh, plus, you know, some tangerine dream and Allison and what was the nice. home, uh, yes, that you suggested. Yes, so yeah. it kind of, it feels like I, I got that like cafe kind of vibe going yeah, and a little yeah. decaf coffee. Um, but I mean, that really, kind of brings me down to that uh, main topic that we're talking about is like, how do you set the scene for work or a side hustle? Um, you know, for me, it's, it's very much like the soundscapes really help and the music really helps um, mm -hmm. make it feel like I'm not just, you know, sitting in my, either my, and when I'm, when I'm at home, cause I also do the same thing, but I, I use my regular computer Um instead of my Kindle Fire and Bluetooth keyboard. Um, but I certainly could, you know, I could sit in our little reading nook um, with that, you know, cafe noise with my coffee, mm -hmm. um, with my Kindle Fire and Bluetooth keyboard to further set the scene and make it kind of feel like I'm not just sitting at home because I, I really feel like for me, that's been really key is that, yeah, you know, cognitively, I'm 100% aware that I'm sitting at home listening to cafe noises um, and then, you know, lyricless music uh, and working on a Kindle fire when I could really just work on my laptop. Um, but it really makes it feel a little different. It kind of shifts gears for me so that it's not like I'm just sitting at home all the time or I'm sitting in this office by myself. 
yeah. and you had mentioned lighting. Yes. You were you were talking about that. So I, I kind of wanted to get your take on this. Like, how do you set the scene for school versus work versus side hustle versus whatever? <clears throat> right. Well, I think for me, it's most of what I do throughout the day involves, you know, it's my field placement and then it's my work. And those two things, music really, unless I'm in between, you know, meetings, it, I really can't incorporate music as much as I'd like to. Um, and I'm not doing yeah. schoolwork right now because it's field placement time. So um, music is definitely a part of my process in the sense that um, when I want to, you know, like if I take a lunch break, for example, I may put on something that makes me feel good. Um, but for me, it's more about the visual surroundings. And so that's where lighting comes into play. And so it's kind of an interesting story because I always always knew lighting definitely has an impact on mood. In fact, um, you know, I used to work at a place where they had the, you know, fluorescent like lighting, like the very jarring kind of bright lighting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was a, a desk job. And so I'd worked with a coworker that used to get migraines. And so when she would work, we would turn off half the lights. And... I didn't make the connection. Like, I just figured, oh, well, because, like, when you have a migraine, you're sensitive to lights. Uh, I don't have that problem. But when those lights were turned off, I found that I wasn't as stressed. And so that is really, like, the first time that I noticed that, like, lighting can have a drastic impact on how productive I am and also just, like, my mood state, you know? Mm. And so fast forward to last year. As all of you know, like, I'm really into games and gaming, and just like, you know, people have, like, hobby areas, I have my office, which is also where I have my computer and my gaming set up, and so it's kind of like my baby. Like, I have it really set up. I've invested a lot of time and money into making things the way I want them. And so there's these lights called Nanoleaf. They are, you know... They're kind of like I'm a hipster without trying to be a hipster. There, there are these lights that a lot of <laughs> a lot of like YouTubers use, gamers use, TikTokers, which I don't even TikTok. I know what it is, obviously, but I'm not going down that road. But like, you know, they're very what's cool right now, and that was not what factored into me buying them. It was more of just that aesthetic look of and the functionality because like. The way I use them in gaming, just to give you an example, is also my keyboard, my mouse, I have LEDs behind my monitor. So when I'm gaming, you can make those lights respond to what's on your screen. And so if I'm playing a game where it's nighttime, the lights will dim. If I am then go into a building where there's lights, the lights light up. So it basically is responsive to what is on your screen. And it's really immersive. And so that was what originally I was doing. And then one day I was in my office and I was having a meeting and there's only one window in here and it was like a really rainy day. And I opened my laptop and I was like, it's dark in here. So I turned on my desk lamp and I was like, oh, that's not good because I have glasses and it just created this weird glare. And I was like, well, let me let me just turn the lights on the wall to like white, you know, and it was it blew my mind, number one, how bright these were, but also how I could get a bright light without feeling anxious about it and so i started playing around with the different options and 
you know, there's different ways to use these lights. You can, there's what's called a reading light, which is kind of like this off white kind of softer light. You can also have programmed sequences. And so there's one that's called sunrise. And so you start that. And over the course of about a half hour, the lights gradually go from dark to a naturally lit room. And so you can gradually wake up with them. Um, but mainly now I use them as a way to kind of just make myself feel more comfortable in my space. And it's made a difference. It's also just, it incorporates variety. And I think what that could be said with music too, like, you know, some days you just want to like rock out and blast music and other days you're kind of softer and you want to kind of just chill. Lights can do that too, you know? And so when I feel like I want to wake up and be energetic. I may use a certain color. I really haven't done much research into it, but I want to. Just like how noise profiles, like there's white noise, brown noise. I'm curious to see lighting colors, What if there's been any studies, I'm sure there have. On There have, yeah. Right, right. To see like, oh, if I, if I use a pastel purple light, Will that affect me differently? You know, and and so just thinking about that and just thinking of all the uses that these lights could have, because they're literally I'll post a link in the show notes, but they're just triangular little tiles that you stick on the wall and they all link together. And so you can create shapes and I don't have to turn the overhead light on in my room like it's that bright. Um, And I have 15 of them kind of linked together and they kind of are in a snaking kind of, you know, pattern on my wall um and so yeah that's that's really the way i've been using lighting lately and it's definitely improved my mood it definitely makes me feel good when i can wake up and tell my phone to begin the sunrise sequence in my office and by the time i get in there with the coffee it's starting to initiate um yeah you know Mm -hmm. and 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 so I'm trying to get my wife to allow me to get more to put like in other parts of our house. Uh, but I haven't been successful so far. Um, Cause I'm not going to lie. They're, they're literal like plastic triangles on the wall. And so if they're not lit, they're just plastic triangles on the wall. So it's kind of like a pick, pick your aesthetic. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's really, that's really the way I've been using the way I've been using lights, I've also have a record player in my office and I've been really into buying records. And there's something about the way in which I listen to music that way is kind of, it's nostalgic, but it's also like a particular process of like choosing the record and making sure there's no dust on it and then playing the record and hearing little imperfections and I don't know. I mean, that that also it's kind of like a, a nice way to take a break during the day. Yeah, so yeah. those are my ways. So we switched or actually I, I should say I switched us over from. So we had been using like warm LED lights in most of our lights. And I don't know when I did it, but at some point I was like, oh, I really like the light from these L, from the daylight LEDs. It's a little brighter um and the the range of color is a little more white so i switched us over mostly from the warm leds to the sort of cooler brighter daylight color um and i've noticed that it it really does change my mood when i have those on there's something about those daylight leds something about the 
change in the warmth of the color because if they feel cool but they're not uh if that makes sense and an interesting side note so one of the things that i do at work is my we can we, so you can con- control what the background of your computer is yeah like i could send myself a photograph if i wanted to do that a lot of people do but i i have a very strong belief that i don't mix my personal uh life with my work technology so i the my my very strong personally held belief is that i should not combine my personal stuff or my side hustle stuff with my work stuff so i never I try never to open my personal email account on my work computer. Um, I also don't put personal photos on my work computer. Um, So one of the things that I do in control of my background is I keep it a plain color and I usually change it seasonally. But one of the things that I had had it like a nice dark teal for a long time. And it's because that allowed all of my little icons to show up and our IT department Oh, God, there's a reason they're called the unhelpful desk. Um, Dropped links to websites onto my desktop that I cannot delete. What? Yep. Yep. It's like I'm it's like I'm using granddad's computer at work. But it's like a like, you know, like the you know how granddad takes and makes a bookmark and then puts it on his desktop. Yes. Which is like my dad's computer literally has 500 little icons on there it's like how do you find anything um but yeah it's like using granddad's computer someone in it decided that was the easiest way of getting everyone these links and i can't delete that off it's like i have it saved into my bookmark bar i don't need it on my desktop so anyway i had a dark teal um and i really liked the dark teal and then i got a dual monitor set up at work which if you are doing any sort of online video conferencing where you're interacting with clients you have to have a dual monitor set up you can't like doing it uh with a single monitor setup is real difficult and not conducive to being able to do any screen sharing and whatnot or monitoring your chats and everything so having a dual monitor setup is absolutely key um but so you know i've probably seen my tirade about therapists doing poor lighting um in their videos um and so you got to have some decent lighting. And if you've, you've got like overhead lighting that you're using that is um, fluorescent, mm-hmm. shut that shut that off. Don't do that to yourself. <laughs> do, you, do you want to look green on screen? Right. Why? Um, so, you know, like I went and gathered a bunch of the lamps from around the program and I have those going in my office. I also my backdrop is a rainbow flag um, that has. So I've got pepper plants growing in my office under grow lights. So the rainbow flag hangs over my pepper plants and kind of glows. And that's a nice backdrop. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing that I did was I took one of those daylight bulbs and I took a hundred watt daylight bulb and I've got it bouncing off white paper on the wall so i get a nice soft bounced bright light on my face mm-hmm. um so it anyway like the the other thing that i'm doing with that is is that i noticed when i had the teal background i looked blue like it gave my it made me look i i mean i 100 own that i'm a very white person i also um use a lot of sunblock i've got skin cancer in my family so i use a lot of sunblock during the summer when i am outside um 
so my face stays super pale. Like my arms will be dark, but my face is, is as white as white can be. And, but I was getting this like blue cast and it also made my cheeks look super red. So I changed the background and I, I messed around with it while I was on camera with all my lights on and everything. And I found that orange, like a nice holiday orange color actually mm-hmm. made me look much better. So yeah. The like what you've got reflecting on you in terms of light um, affects both your the way you feel, but also the way you look on camera. So that was that was a bit of a tangent there in terms of lighting and whatnot. But for God's sake, people, turn off your overhead uh, lighting and and get something that's going to light you up nice and soft. So you look okay on camera. Right. Like I my at my old placement, um, my field supervisor sat with his back to a window. Oh yeah. And Everyone so in senior just, leadership does that. And it's just like a, a it was just like a, a shadowy disc that I was talking to. I could see yeah. no facial features. Whereas I'm sitting facing a window, but also I use my that's another way I use my lights is because when I'm when I'm working with students and I'm providing counseling to students, you know, having your face and anybody actually, any therapist, having your face be very clear is important since you're not in the room with the person. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I definitely agree with you in like finding the right shade. Now for me, for those that have seen my face, um, I wear these really awesome yellow glasses. Yeah. And they're like reactive to light. And so if I, for example, if I use like purple lighting, mm-hmm. it looks like I'm at like a club, like during a rave. Cause they yep. literally glow on my face and so (laughs) i don't want to be distracting um but but yeah so it's it's finding that right you know that right balance um but also as the glasses wear it's finding the right balance without glare Mm. because even with anti-glare there's it's impossible to to remove that and so so yeah i agree with you yeah i can always tell when the interns aren't actually paying attention when they're sitting in on a group because of the glare on their glasses <laughs> Why? Because they're tabbing through different pages. Yeah, and I can yeah. see it. <laughs> so yeah. we've had we've had a, had a couple of conversations. Of, Don't do that. Yeah, like what are you doing? Yeah, don't shop on Amazon. Yeah, no. Why are you on Facebook? Um, also, don't be on Facebook on the company computer. They can track it. Um, not to be paranoid, but also paranoid. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah. So anyway, that's that's kind of like I don't know. I think setting. You, I, and when you're on camera, you're not only setting the scene for yourself, you're setting it for the people who are viewing you. Right, right. Yeah. So. And also thinking about what's behind you is key. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've, I have. I have an, I have an no, off-air you, story for you. Okay. I can't, I can't say it on air. <laughs> okay. Um. So I initially, when I first started doing this, the so I've got a bookshelf behind me. Um, except it doesn't have any books. I didn't, I, I took all my books home from work cause I'm, I'm afraid they're going to close our facility, but keep us open and put us in different offices. So I brought home all of my therapy books. So that shelf has like, here's a bucket full of stress balls. Here's a bucket full of, uh, stuffed animals, uh, to use as stress toys. Uh, what else? I've got like, here's a container of peanut butter. So initially I was just shooting all of my videos with all of that behind me. And someone actually was like, "What is that a sheep behind you? What is that? Because they weren't able to focus on me because I had so much crap behind me. Um, 
So finally, I went and grabbed the rainbow flag and hung it up over over my shelf. And now, you know, it's it's you, they can't see it, so that's nice. But um, yeah, you've got to be careful with what's behind you. Yeah. Uh, but I've heard a lot of stories of horror stories of that. Um, people having all kinds of things they shouldn't behind them. Correct. Um. So yeah. So I think that like in terms of that part of the main topic. Um, I'm, I I don't have a lot more to say. I, no, I, I mean I could. But. Right, we we could go on forever about this, but absolutely. I think I, I covered what I what I wanted to talk about and everything. So I kind of wanted to go um, into a little bit of a side discussion, and I think this is, goes into the so much more, but it's also related to the topic that we were talking about last week in terms of journaling. Um, and one of the easiest ways to journal is gratitude journaling, right? Like, you know, you write down three things you're grateful for every day. Um, and I, I have personally done gratitude journaling. I have, there have been times where that's all I can get done is like, here are three things I'm grateful for. And sometimes it's as simple as the, my morning cup of coffee, because that's the only thing I can, you know, bring myself to be grateful for. And, to be fair, my coffee is damn good in the morning. I do a good job. Um, but I think so. There, there's an article that just came out by a rather well-known journaler, and it rubbed me the wrong way for a number of reasons. So the article starts da- starts out with the author tearing someone down for not being grateful for a variety of things and for their perceived general negativity um and i really like to me my ability to great be grateful does not exist in competition with others it's an internal state of being and sometimes yeah it's real hard to be grateful but also it's not a competition i'm not in competition with you day to be grateful for the things in my life i don't judge you if you are not grateful for the same things that i'm grateful for i don't judge you if you are cranky about things not going your way or if you are not grateful uh, for your morning cup of coffee. I mean, sometimes you have Keurig. I understand why you're not grateful for that. Um, but, you know, like, there's no competition there. Gr- gratitude is something internal that you're finding. And it's not a competitive state of being. And when you are starting your article about gratitude out by tearing someone down for their mental state, it really takes a lot away from your stance about gratitude, in my opinion. Not you, Dade, but just in yes. general. Um, like, you know, it's just like that undermines the entire article. And and it just, it, it really, it left a bad taste in my mouth. So like the rest of the article, I was like, mm, okay, so you're going to tear someone down. Where are you going to go with this? And then the my last point, I, I don't, the rest of the article is okay. I do wish that they would link more to the studies that they are citing or the, like, I know a lot of the studies. I know a lot of the reading that they have done in terms of gratitude because I've also read it. Um, I am someone who encourages, I've done a group on gratitude where every every day someone comes in and writes down the first three things that come to mind that they're grateful for. Um, but the in regards to gratitude needing some sort of friction, it's uh, gratitude doesn't exist as an either or situation. I can be critical of circumstances and acknowledge the wrongness in my life and still be grateful for other situations. I don't need the wrongness to occur in my life. I do not need to have had 
bad things to have happened to me to be grateful for the good things that I'm having in my life. That's it, it, just the whole idea that you need something to butt up against to be grateful is a fallacy in this person's thinking. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of, kind of set my, I don't know, I was thinking about it last night. I was thinking about it this morning in terms of this article and it, it just, I think the initial couple of paragraphs where they're tearing someone down because they're not grateful and they're perceived as negative really set me off, um, and really undermined my ability to be able to connect with that article, um, and I think in some cases they're just wrong. You don't, you don't need friction to be grateful. You don't need to have had harm done to you to be grateful for your current situation. Um, what are your thoughts? I, I agree with you. I immediately thought of the person that is the subject of the beginning of the article and just how I would feel if I were to read this. I mean, sure, it wasn't like the person's name was used, but I also feel there was a level of like kind of cruelty to it. Um, you know, giving, not just saying this person was ungrateful, it called them miss, you know, miserable or something. Um, misery. You know, mi- miss misery. Yeah. It just, it, I don't know. It just, it didn't, it's not for me. It, it, it was kind of like the opposite of what this article was trying to accomplish, which was having you talk about gratitude in a way that is positive and, I don't know. It just was a weird way to start something. And I know that that every article, you know, starts with some kind of story or or per- personal anecdote. Like I get that. I get that method of writing. I do it myself. But if I'm going to provide an article that provides guidance to people about gratefulness um, and not being selfish and stuff, I, I think that I would use a different story and a different way to deliver. And so, like you, I was set off by that initial kind of weird start. Um, And then it just kind of, for me, kind of went downhill from there. I mean, there is stuff of value in this article that Mm -hmm. I already kind of knew just about journaling, both from being your friend, Les, and then Mm -hmm. also just my own research. Um, And then just like using studies, like, this is a personal thing for me, but I hate when authors use scientific study to like, prop up their argument, but they don't seemingly read the article Mm -hmm. fully. And so that's where I get a little hypercritical, Um, you know, and I'm like, okay, you, you link to this article, let me read it. And so realizing that, you know, taking apart this study that, that was cited, um, it's, it's a study that is not as powerful as the author is conveying. And that kind of bothers me too. I mean, one sample size was, you know, it was like 17 people. Yeah. Um, and the other was a little better. It was in the eighties. I mean, you can be semi statistically significant. I mean, you want to be over a hundred, but still like, and then, you know, thinking about it critically, like I just, I don't know. I hate when people use just this like snapshot quote from an article, you know, and, and the art, just to give you context, the argument here is that, you know, we're always taught to, give the quote from the articles give without remembering and receive without forgetting and the study actually shows the opposite um and reflecting on the gifts that you give has a stronger impact on well-being than reflecting on what we receive but i would argue that you know if you're going to make that argument look deeper into that 
are you reflecting, does the well-being come from just the simple fact that you're giving? Or does the well-being come from the fact that you yourself feel good about being perceived as someone who is giving? Um, because there's those are two different things to me. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, and so, so yeah, that's where I kind of went with this article. But like you in the beginning, I definitely, definitely was just like, ugh. Like, I almost didn't finish the article, but I was like, well, let me see where this is going. Yeah, um, I, I did the same thing. And I read it twice because I wanted to be sure because I am very guilty of forming an initial opinion and and sticking with it a little too long um, sometimes. So I read it on a different day and I had the same reaction. I just felt for the person and I don't yeah. want to I don't want to become overly I don't want to turn this into another hour long conversation. But it also kind of settled into these tropes that I I, I don't like. And that is the expectation of women, um, the depiction of women, the assumption of how women should be behave. I mean, it's like the, it doesn't do this, but it comes close to that all like, you know, someone questioning a woman, like you should smile more. Why don't you smile? You know? And yeah. so maybe that's why it pushed my buttons a little bit because it kind of made my brain go there. And, mm. and that's the other thing you think about the difference between intent and the effect. And so like, sure, your intent may, may not have been this, this intent could have been totally pure. And I don't doubt that it, it was on some level, but you also have to think about the impact and how it falls. Yeah. So well, that's what I think. I also think that at, at, after a certain point, so after a certain point in terms of popularity, I guess, yeah, I want to say, or reach. Reach is really what I want to say. Mm. Once you reach a certain number of people, of readers, do you really want to put that out there about that person? Like, I mean, like, you know, maybe 10 people, but a few more than that read my blog so you know i've i don't i don't have a huge audience so if i were to uh post a uh a diatribe about you know gratitude and tear you down in it it's only going to reach 10 people or so right but this particular post is going to reach thousands and yeah. thousands maybe hundreds of thousands of people even if their mailing list is only 5000 people right that post is going to have reverberations because those 5,000 people are going to share it. Maybe I'm not going to. Um, and we are not going to share the link to that particular post uh, in the show notes. Cause I don't want to give it any more airtime. Most of you are going to know who we're talking about because it's a big name. Um, and, you know, but also like, so this is a person that they're talking about that was at one point a friend and as much of a friend as you would go on a vacation with. And I don't know about you, but I don't just vacation with just anyone. Um, I, I, vacation, I tend to spend time with the people that I actually like in my life. So you, you might think that Miss Misery is actually someone that this person at some point enjoyed as a friend. And so you're going to do your friend like that? Really? Like, yikes. I just uh, like I can't I can't imagine sending something like that out to people about someone who was a friend of mine. So, yeah, I, I think that in terms of reach that that you got to start thinking a little bit about how people might perceive you outside of your small circle of followers and super fans and whatnot and think about how 
you are you're you're going that's going to be perceived because that you got to think about your audience and also about your poor friend that you're doing like that but i don't know i i i i agree with everything that you said and it did the you know the feminist reading of that particular article one great um so yeah, I'm going to leave it there because I think I think most of our listeners are going to seek out that article and read it. And maybe they've already read it and they're going to read it with a slightly different tone this time. But um, I think that's all that I have. Do you have anything else? And, I, and we are approaching time. So, yeah, no, I think this was an amazing episode. And I think I'm, I'm going to leave it here. Leave it all on the table. All right. And cool. say I'm done. All right. Sweet. So we're done. Um, so I just want to take a moment to thank everyone, um, who comes by and leaves us a note or some feedback on the website. Um, but also for our amazing Facebook group, I wish it wasn't on Facebook, but as of right now, it's the best option that we have because some of the other options, not so great either. Um, (laughs) So it's just really wonderful to be able to log into that group and have an amazing group of almost 600 people now who interact in an intelligent, engaged way um, from a place of interest and and sometimes introspection um, and be kind and gentle and wonderful towards one another. And that's just wonderful. I just really enjoy that. So thank you everyone um, and everyone who's supporting us and joining that group. It's awesome. Um, So if you do want to support us, the best thing that you can do is uh, let people know about the show, share a link to your favorite episode on social media and just tell people you you, that, you know, that you love us and why you love us um, and all of that fun stuff. So, Um, You can find the podcast at rsvpstationarypodcast.com and Discord. uh, I haven't been over there in a while. Discord's not uh, my favorite place. Um, Although I will say that I do enjoy it when I am there. It's some really interesting discussion. Um, You can find me, Lass, at comfortableshoesstudio.com, Facebook at comfortableshoesstudio, Instagram and Twitter at Original L.C. Harper. I do warn people I'm a little salty on Twitter. Dade, where can the fine folks find you you can find me at weeklypencil.com and on facebook instagram and twitter at the weekly pencil all right great welcome to episode 80 of rsvp the podcast about station <laughs> <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs>